Welcome to this week's special Farcast bonus edition, Is There a Day of Reckoning? Heather Long is one of our favorites here on the Farcast, and this week she and Michael had an extended discussion on the long-term economic implications of the Federal Reserve's largesse. We learned so much from talking with Heather, and we wanted to share. So now, here's your host for the Farcast, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. Now, as we look and cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world with you on the Farcast, we are returning uh, and are excited to have join us Heather Long from the Washington Post. Every so often, I get to talk to a reporter and, and, and ask a couple of questions back. And when I started talking with Heather Long a couple of years ago, uh, I, I thought, wow, uh, this reporter gets it. And then when I checked into Heather's background, Wellesley College, a uh, bachelor's degree in economics and English, then Oxford University, where she was a Rhodes Scholar, master's degree in financial economics and medieval literature. How cool is that? Her insights uh, are, have been just absolutely fabulous. One of the smartest people we get to talk to with a terrific perch at the Washington Post. Heather, welcome back to the Farcast. When do markets, Heather, look up and say, wait a minute, you've got the Treasury uh, raising money from the Federal Reserve and not a lot of other demand, um, no, I'm not going to buy. And rates go higher. Uh, I think that is the key question, and we don't know the answer to it right now. Uh, at the moment, we're still benefiting from the fact that the United States looks relatively better than Europe and Japan and many other parts of the world. <laughs> so, But you're right. Uh, foreign purchases have slowed down. That's been happening for a while now. And so you, you do. You sit there and you say, OK, who's going to buy all this debt? Uh, certainly by 2021. And uh, that's an uncomfortable, uncomfortable question. So, so the answer here is, God, we look awful. This is really awful. But everybody else is really more awful. So we're not too bad. I mean, that's that's, that's <laughs> I think that's that sums it up well. That, that's <laughs> <laughs> but that's been the story for the last decade, uh, you know, when, when we had our slow, even before the pandemic, when we had our slow growing recovery, you know, it was, woe is the United States, but gee, we still look better than everybody else. <laughs> so. it, it, you know, it did seem to me, Heather, for all of my concern coming out of the 08 and 09, recession and market crash and all of the stimulus that was added to generate 2% GDP growth, and I was very critical of that, that almost as of this February, with unemployment at 3.5%, that we were beginning to get off of the uh, monetary IV drip and that indeed the economy felt like it was beginning to have some organic growth and the transition was nigh from uh, you know, uh, support of stimulus to to actually an organically growing an economy. It, I thought, geez, the Fed has really pulled it off this time until, of course, this pandemic hit. My great criticism, though, Heather, was that we ne the Fed never reduced its balance sheet. It 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 was still at that four trillion dollar level now, over seven trillion dollars. I just don't see how this ends. You are a brilliant economist in your own right. Tell us what you see for the U.S. economy, if you would, over the next 6, 12, and 24 months. Well, I think you're right. The most telling comment from Powell yesterday might have been when he said, uh, 
if market functioning continues to improve, then we're happy to slow or even stop the purchases of those bonds. But he, you notice he never said anything about, of course, selling the bonds. So right. yeah, we're uh, yeah. we're seven trillion at least is the new, you know, is is the new um, Fed balance sheet. But um, so I've written, a, I wrote a piece back in April, and I still think there's a high case of some sort of. Uh, w type situation for the economy. I think what we're seeing, you know, people talk about, hey, it looks a bit like a V now. It was always going to look like a, a, a pretty fast bounce back initially. You know, we're getting the low hanging fruit back into the economy as, as, as initially businesses start reopening. And we have these PPP loans for the small businesses that are requiring these small, small restaurants and whatnot to bring workers back. So sure, we've got a bit of a, a hiring surge. We've got a bit of a, a, a bit of an activity surge. You can see it in things like retail sales, but you can easily see a case later this summer where we're already starting to see this resurgence in coronavirus cases. That's going to freak people out. And yep. and then second of all, on the on the economic side, you know, when you talk to companies, bigger or small, a lot of them sort of limp through this spring. They're you know trying to see how things go when it reopens, but they can't survive for months at fifty percent capacity, fifty percent of no. tables filled, these sorts of things. So I think there's this real danger as these PPP loans wear off this summer, as a lot of the government stimulus sort of wears off in July. I'm really worried about August, August, September. And do we see this wave of you know, people suddenly back in those food lines because their unemployment benefits are out? Do we see you know, companies that limped by for a few months suddenly saying, I got to close, I can't pay my rent, there's no end in sight to this? Right. So let's go back and end uh, here. And you are so great to come on. And we always learn so much from you. Thank you. Let's take a look and go back to uh, this, this notion that you mentioned earlier of modern monetary theory, because this is something to me that when it was first explained to me, I thought was one of the more absurd and ridiculous things I'd ever heard. Uh, and this is 30 plus years from someone who lives in Washington, D.C., ladies and gentlemen. I'm a lifelong uh, Washingtonian, uh, was lifelong Washingtonian, now live in Florida. But uh, to, to, to hear something that strikes me as that absurd is a pretty high bar. Um, but it seems, Heather, that we're going to test it. This notion of mon modern monetary theory says uh, you can have all the debt that you want as long as uh, you keep interest rates at zero and you can you have your central bank just keep buying enough to keep your interest rates at zero and then it doesn't matter how much debt you have. Is that a fair explanation first, Heather? <laughs> I think that's a pretty good explanation. And it's certainly what's going on during the pandemic. I think everybody's sort of hand waving and saying this is a war like situation. You know, we all need to do our part. And this is the way the Federal Reserve can help. I think that it goes back to your key question earlier. But when does that party stop? You know, when does the party stop? You know, I, I, I mentioned to you, Heather, before we before we came on air here, uh, that I went to Gonzaga High School on Capitol Hill, which is a Jesuit high school. And Jesuits are wonderful at getting you to think about religion because they take a very strange approach to it. But one of the things they would, is in, in getting us to think about the nature of God, they would ask us questions as 16 and 17 and 18 year olds. If God is all powerful, can God create a rock so big that even God can't lift it? 
which you know uh, is is kind of wonderful. And if you you know the Jesuits loved it. If you said, well, no, God couldn't make a rock so big that he can't. I mean, it's it's have you stopped beating your wife? Of course, but. Uh, has the Federal Reserve, I mean, is this a rock too big for the Federal Reserve to lift ultimately? And is there a day of reckoning to modern monetary theory? I guess I'm asking you, do you buy it and, and can it last until how long? Well, it appears that um, I think most people believe it can last through the pandemic. You know, so we probably need a stim another stimulus package this summer, and they'll probably be, if whoever gets elected in November, uh, Trump or Biden or maybe somebody else is is smart. You know, they'll probably early in the in the you know, early next year do some sort of big infrastructure package or big long term spending package on education and and roads and whatnot. That's probably overdue anyway. And I think most people believe, okay, that's another I don't know five trillion. We could probably handle that. And, but the bigger question is, does this unleash a change in thinking in Washington where suddenly things like a Green New Deal, some sort of spending on climate change, or maybe another big tax cut, you know, things that people do not see as wise long-term spending or as emergency spending like what we're doing in the pandemic, suddenly get the MMT treatment. And that's where I join a lot of mainstream economists in saying that freaks me out, this idea that we could add 10 trillion more or 15 or 20 trillion or no end in sight to these numbers more and think that this is all gonna function fine. Last question, your best guess as to when we see inflation begin. Mm, that's definitely the hardest question you've asked. <laughs> and. Um, I think I'm going to stick with the low inflation prediction camp for a long time. For a long time. Uh, a year, two years, three years? <laughs> well, uh, I think good economists know you can never predict more than about a year out. But um, uh, I, I guess I would turn the question on you. What do you think would drive the inflation? <laughs> I, I just I have a really hard time telling the story, uh, telling a logical story of what's going to trigger the inflation. I guess you're arguing just all the bond issuance would, would trigger the inflation. <laughs> Heather, you just answered the question, I think, brilliantly. Uh, we're looking, you know, uh, looking for that logical answer. And actually, uh, in my experience, when these things shift, they do not shift logically. The logic will have been in place for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's an emotional trigger that will actually start the selling or the cessation of buying uh, and a shift to the safer side of the boat. Um, uh, but everybody does it at once, you know. So it's that emotional trigger. It is that last straw moment uh, in markets that I don't have any idea when it will come. I don't understand how exactly the bull market psychology has survived as resiliently as it has, uh, how stock markets are trading near all-time highs in the absence of fundamentals on the promise of more stimulus just is very puzzling to me because I've grown up with a discipline of you know, cash flow and uh, debt ratios, uh, actually income and gross revenues and margins as things that mattered 
um, and, and we're a basis for real value and value determination, and that doesn't seem to matter right now. When it does, and it typically will, uh, it will again at some point, it comes back as a flood. It, it doesn't come back as trickles. You don't see it as a slow tide building. It's, those are tidal wave moments. We'll see what happens here. Heather Long is the uh, economics correspondent from the Washington Post. She is probably the leading best journalist on reporting on the Federal Reserve. Thank you so much for being with us. You are awesome, Heather. It's good to be here. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another Farcast. We'll begin. We'll be back again next week uh, for the third week in June, fourth week in June, coming up uh, with some fabulous guests. We're going to see if we can explain our way through and figure out what the world looks like as we come to the end of the second quarter, the halfway mark of 2020. It's got to get better from here, doesn't it? We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening from Naples, Florida. I'm Michael Farr.